I'm Jonathan Aberman. Coming up on today's show... And these are unique times. We have a fundamental shift in how people are using office space. There are issues associated with some liquidity and financing. There's a, there's a reset in value. It's going to require the private sector and the public sector to come together to figure out how they repair the torn fabric in their communities. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. Today we're going to talk about a topic that may not sound particularly interesting, commercial real estate. Darn it, it matters, it matters a lot. It matters because the development of real estate the employment of people building real estate, the turnover of buildings, the financing of them, the occupying of them is a significant, if not the largest component of whether or not our region has a strong economy. When the commercial real estate sector is weak, it has very, very profound and negative economic consequences. Now, right now we are reading about how many office buildings are underutilized and many buildings are frankly empty it's having an effect on downtown. We hear it anecdotally, we hear about crime, we hear about businesses not being able to stay open because there's not enough people. Well, is that all there is to worry about? Is that the only reason to be concerned? I say no. The reality is that the commercial real estate sector also underpins the banking system. It underpins their economy. If the commercial sector, real estate, goes into a tailspin, the implications for economy can be profound. So when we talk about residential real estate, it's important, affordable housing, something we'll talk about in another episode. But when we talk about commercial real estate in this region, this is a problem that affects all of us in different ways. So with that in mind, I've brought Harry Claff, principal and US president of Avis and Young. And he's an expert on this. He's been part of this region's commercial real estate community for more than 20 years. He's informed, he's on top of things, and we're gonna talk about these issues right now. Harry, thanks for joining us today. Jonathan, it's great to be here. Well, it's great to have you because you've been part of the community here, the business community here for long enough to have perspective on what's going on in our region around the various ways that we use real estate. Now, uh, clearly, there are reasons why many people are concerned about what's going on in these sectors, and I really wanted to have you on the show to give all our listeners a sense of what's going on. So, Frame us for me, uh, separated if you want, between commercial, residential, data centers, however you want. But what's the current state of play here in our region? Well, here in our region, uh, we have um, we have a, a fairly healthy market from from a from everything with the potential exception of office, uh, and that's a fairly consistent thread across the entire country. Um, in my new job, I've had an opportunity to have perspective that's now national. And, uh, and D.C. is no different. Uh, in the D.C. region uh, and, uh, and everywhere else around uh, the United States, there is, uh, there's an issue with regard to, to office. A lot of it has to do with, uh, with return to office and the policies associated with that. Some of it has to do with what those drivers are, specific submarkets, um, the quality of, of, of office space, how people are using that. There's absolutely a fundamental shift. Uh, in uh, in our region and elsewhere, and uh, what we are going to find is we're going to see functionally obsolete office buildings that will likely have a very challenging time in being um, in being leased 
with any type of financial return and uh, alternative uses probably need to be considered. And I'm going to want to touch on that in a little while. But first of all, I want to frame something which I think you've touched on, which is very important. I've had people on the show and elsewhere tell me that D.C. has a specifically difficult time with commercial real estate right now because the federal government isn't uh, requiring people to go to work. Many listeners of uh, the show work in the federal government, I'm sure. But you're telling me that this issue of there being a surplus capacity of commercial real estate is actually national. So is there, are there in fact two different trends that are affecting D.C. commercial? Or is D.C.'s problem really, could it be solved if the administration just mandated everybody in the federal government went to work five days a week? Well, I think in the D.C. market specifically, it would really help uh, if, uh, if agencies came back and came back on a, on a fairly consistent basis. Uh, what that does is it brings vibrancy to uh, to the market. It improves uh, street-level retail. Um, it, um, it certainly supports the health of the city. But it's not just um, the, the federal government returning back to the office. It's, it's, it's what... Uh, those return to office policies are across the board in every industry, in every sector uh, in, in D.C. And in, as we look at D.C., we look at the metro D.C. region, um, the federal government um, and, and their returns not necessarily going to bolster areas in Maryland uh, or in Virginia. Um, that return to office tends to be much more private sector. Uh, and what we find is that that's really a, uh, a industry-to-industry issue. It's a company-to-company issue. And then it's obviously the policies associated with return to the office and the conviction to make sure those policies are upheld by companies. Now, I've read data that Evans & Young has um, created. Why don't you give us a sense? What are you hearing when you when you interview or you collect data on workers? Why don't they want to come back to the office? <clears throat> there are a couple of issues associated with that. One is obviously um, during COVID and actually pre-COVID, office spaces candidly uh, were not occupied at 100% level anyway. So when we talk about occupancy levels, there's really a, a discussion that has to take place regarding what did it look like uh, pre-COVID. In 2018, 2019, uh, most office spaces across all industries and, and, and user classes probably averaged somewhere in the range of, of 70 to 75 percent anyway. So there was roughly 20 to 30, 25 to 30 percent vacancy in most spaces in most buildings any given time. Hmm. And Mondays and Fridays tended to be lighter. Uh, that, was, uh, that was exacerbated by, uh, by, by COVID as, uh, as folks started to be able to work remotely and work effectively remotely. And some companies and some industries, uh, remote work, became a, um, a standard and easy to, to implement. Um, there's a cost savings component. Uh, obviously, if a company can lease less office space and be effective, uh, that's something that for uh, financial reasons was a driver. Uh, Post-COVID, what we found is that uh, perhaps those financial benefits were outweighed by issues associated with culture building mentoring, training, learning, research and development, collaboration, uh, those are really important. What we're finding now is that, is that companies are coming back to the office. Uh, it's gradual. Right now, based on our numbers in the metro D.C. area, we're seeing about 70 percent of pre-COVID uh, return to office trends. And that's an uptick from where we were just six months ago. 
Well, I, I will tell you anecdotally from my perspective, since my day job is investing in, in startups, as uh, my companies grow, I've actually told a number of the CEOs, it's time for you to get an office and bring people in because you can't scale a business and build culture unless people see each other. And and that's something that uh, I'm seeing. I'm also seeing data that suggests that there's a strong element of out of sight, out of mind with people's careers, uh, particularly the younger people who aren't getting mentoring. They're finding that it's hard to get promoted if the if the people above you don't see you. So they're trends. But I do wonder uh, if you have a workforce that says, basically, we're going to be in the office Tuesday through Thursdays and take Monday and Friday out. Does that really result in any real estate savings? Because you still have to have places for people to sit. It's a great question. And uh, and and what we found is it really doesn't have a substantial savings. If, if you're at full capacity Tuesday to Thursday and Monday and Friday uh, are, are, are opt-out days, um, there's still full capacity being used and it's really hard to to rethink space. However, what we're also seeing now is that is that um, is that companies, uh, public sector associations, nonprofits—they're all using space a little bit differently than they did before. Much more collaborative uh, spaces, much more flexible, and in that flexibility, perhaps there's some savings, but it isn't dramatic reduction in footprint. What we're finding is that um, that law firms, for instance, where you would expect there to be a significant cut have in many cases uh, stayed the same or even grown a little bit yeah. over the course of the last uh, number of months. Well, to tell you the truth, I years ago I managed a couple of law firm offices. And uh, cover your ears if you're going to be offended by this, lawyers listening, but lawyers love their trophy space. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, love, they love to have their office and their other industries like that. So with all that, I'm hearing some pretty grim statistics with respect to what kind of vacancies are commercial. I want you to let us know what that looks like, and then I, I'm going to ask you why I should care. <laughs> so let's start with what are the statistics? The the, the statistics are are uh, from a market perspective are fairly significant. Uh, we're about uh, we've got a 20 percent vacancy rate across our entire region. Uh, that's high relative to uh, to a solid market uh, by number of percentage points. The what you have to really do though is you have to dig in and understand where that vacancy is. It's uh, it's submarket specific, uh, it's it's asset class and quality specific, and what we're finding for sure is that in certain submarkets in Class A buildings, you know, quality trophy buildings, space. trophy spaces right. that are highly amenitized and well located, we're finding that vacancy rates are incredibly low. In fact, there's there are very few options of those types of spaces in the market, and. Uh, net effective rental rates are actually growing in some of those markets. And this is consistent not just here in D.C. and on D.C. submarkets, including in Northern Virginia and parts of Maryland, but it's also consistent in other markets that I see across the country, including Los Angeles and New York and uh, Dallas and Boston. We're seeing the exact same trends. So everybody calls it flight to quality. Uh, what we're seeing is that perhaps maybe your footprint's a little bit smaller, but your willingness to spend the same amount on real estate is there. And uh, so an upgrade in quality of building that attracts a workforce and gives them a reason to come back to the office, uh, especially if it's easier an easier building to commute to and to actually operate in, that's something that is certainly appealing. Interesting. I'm seeing an analogy. Tell me if you uh, think this is apt. We talk a lot about um, residential real estate and, and how there's an affordable housing crisis because – People are buying $3 million houses and 
$500,000 houses aren't being built. It sounds to me like there's the same kind of pauperization trend in commercial real estate where if you have a Class A building in a prime location, there's not a problem finding tenants. But if you have a, a 20- or 30-year-old building that's kind of tired space or out in the suburbs someplace, there just aren't tenants for it. Is that is that what's going on? That's exactly on the mark, Jonathan. That's exactly what's happening. The building that nationally real estate owners like to point to is one Vanderbilt in New York City, which is right next to Grand Central Station. Mm-hmm. Their rental rates are about as high as they've been in New York, over $200 a foot. And if you could find space there, that's what you'll end up paying. What, it's, it's a unicorn, though. It's a phenomenal building. It's high quality. It's well-located. It's an easy commute. Those buildings that are at the nexus of all those great benefits are going to achieve uh, high rents uh, and be financially successful. Okay. So as we look at the region now, we have unpacked that the same way that there are ample supply of $4 million mini mansions around the region. There are uh, an ample supply. In fact, this may explain why we see cranes building new buildings for for a high quality new space. If I've got a bunch of buildings that people don't want to rent in, spread around the region or maybe downtown where there are obsoleted buildings, why do I care as somebody who cares about the region or somebody who cares about the national economy? Why should I care? You should care because uh, if there are uh, if there are buildings that are unsuccessful in leasing space, then they basically are blighting the the market. There is um, a vacant building will result in vacant retail spaces at the ground level, and that has a that has a, a, an impact on the market in general and uh, creates a vicious cycle for a community. If uh, if buildings are vacant, then there's less vitality. If there's less vitality, then you have less visitors. If there are less visitors, perhaps uh, those are openings for more crime. And it, it's it becomes a, oh, I believe they, the, the 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 term is doom loop. Uh, if um, if if occupancy in certain parts of markets goes down, uh, then that has a negative impact on that environment uh, in total. And we're seeing this in cities, not just here in D.C. but elsewhere as well. Uh, and the impact to that is that if there's a perception that it's not safe, then it actually impacts submarkets that might be safer and more and, and more successful. Definitely hearing that from our friends in the community just anecdotally, but I also think there's a financial component. And we're going to touch on that when we come back after break. And also, Harry has been very involved in talking about how we can solve some of these problems. We're going to talk about that in the next segment as well. What's Week in Washington? We'll be right back. in touch with some of the best voices in the Washington, D.C. region. We've been hearing from you and speaking to the people you want to hear from. That's what What's Working in Washington is about. We talk to the power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. But more and more, we talk about the hard questions and look for the real answers that will drive the region and our nation forward. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, do let us know. We look to shine a spotlight on people who are really getting things done in the region. So please keep those ideas coming. And thanks to all of you who stay in touch with us. And we're back. I'm here with Harry Claff, Principal and U.S. President of Avis and Young. Harry, before the break, uh, I wanted to touch on this. So the financial aspects of 
the decline in utilization of commercial real estate. Buildings generally are leased um, to tenants and they're basically financed the mortgages with commercial banks. It's very similar uh, to what homeowners do, except the biggest difference is that in the mortgage banking crisis of 2008, most of those mortgages were securitized and sold. A lot more mortgages are held on commercial buildings are held in the banking system by the banks themselves. Uh, I have heard and I've read that, um, in fact, what's going on with commercial real estate around the country and in, the, in this region may create an incipient financial crisis that could be as bad, if not worse, in 2008, because this time the money is actually on the bank's balance sheets. I know you spend some time thinking about this. Do you want to talk me down? Well, it's uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting subject. It's something in, in the uh, the headlines every single day. If you turn on any of the news channels, uh, this, is, uh, this is being covered, Jonathan. And uh, while it doesn't look like it's a contagion right now, clearly First Republic, Signature, SVB, you know, those banks and those failures have, have um, been indicators, but there haven't been any more. And the only proxy really uh, for where we are with regard to the banking system are what we see in the uh, CNBS market uh, because it's, it's publicly reported, publicly available. Uh, and we know that about a billion dollars of CMBS debt is coming due. We also know that uh, there are a significant number of, of uh, assets um, that are being transferred over to special servicers and many, many on their watch list. And uh, so if that's a proxy for what's happening in the regional banks, uh, there could be an issue. And uh, we need to be uh, obviously very cognizant of that because it ha- could have an impact especially to our regional banks here in Metro Washington, but also elsewhere. And um, while it doesn't appear as if there's a significant trend line here, I don't think that we've seen the worst of this situation. Yeah, my overall impression is that what we have right now is a shadow degradation of a lot of these assets values, which is causing banks to be concerned. But I've also heard from friends uh, and business associates in the private equity and and, uh, money markets that there is a spectacular amount of money being raised now to buy buildings on the cheap if, if in fact, the banks have to start offloading collateral. So for what it's worth, uh, I think that the current doom looping around commercial causing a financial crisis are overdone. But I think that the effect on city and quality of life uh, in some ways may be underdone with respect to what it's going to do to our society. How, how do you feel about that? It's a, it's a big topic. I, I think there's, there's no doubt that this is a different situation than we had in the great financial crisis in that there is much more liquidity out there. We have now is uh, the, issue, the issue is um, much higher interest rates uh, and, uh, and values – that, that need to be reset, especially in the office market, but really a, across all asset classes. Uh, but let's take office, uh, for example. In the office market, what, there has to be a reset, and it's starting to happen now. Two major events in, in Roslyn, for instance, CoStar's acquisition of a building in Central Place in Roslyn is a, a big impact. That was about 50% of replacement cost or so. Uh, and, um, and then a refinancing reset of a value at 1812 North Moore, it's the same type of situation that has that's, – that's, the net result of that will be at approximately 50 percent replacement cost. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see that on a regular basis across the market. It's going to happen, but it's happening in drips and drabs, not happening uh, as a steady flow. And uh, we're going to know that we're back to some level of normalcy when, when we start to see these resets and money coming off the sidelines to acquire assets – 
at reset values. But banks have to start lending too. And uh, right now, especially uh, in office, very, very challenging, uh, almost <laughs> nearly impossible to get uh, a local bank uh, or national bank to, um, to, to, to fund uh, debt on that asset. Yeah. So uh, there is, um, there's got to be more, uh, more free of and available debt. Uh, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, um, I don't think that's it's the case over the next uh, couple of months, but hopefully we'll see a little bit of a reset on, on interest rates as well. Now, we've touched on this earlier. I want to come back to it. We have what I'll call Class A minus, Class B, Class C space all over the region. And based on what we discussed earlier, a lot of those places are going to be underutilized, not utilized at all. We've got uh, downtown that has a real problem and may continue to have it, depending on what happens with the federal government workers. What are some of the solutions that uh, that you are seeing work in other cities or some of the things you'd recommend we'd be considering here in town? Yeah, I did address your, your question prior, and it, it dovetails with this as well, of what's the impact of, of this reset on, on our local communities and uh, it could be fairly significant uh, as, as values um, uh, are reduced. Um, you know, our tax base uh, similarly is also adjusted and, um, and um, tax revenues uh, will also be reduced, which means it has an impact on, on our communities and their ability to fund uh, services and, uh, and hire, you know, hire policemen, firemen, um, teachers, the like. Uh, and that has obviously a negative impact potentially. So this is uh, this is something that we have to embrace. What's the what's the right uh, what are the right ingredients? I think it's a variety of things. So there have to be um, lower interest rates will help us for sure. Um, having uh, some liquidity is going to help us. Um, uh, ensuring that uh, there's there's public and private investment in our markets and a renewed sense of placemaking in our cities uh, is an absolutely critical piece to to our future success. Uh, it's going to require a, a public-private partnership to ensure that uh, our communities are are rebuilt and uh, and also uh, rebuilt in a way that um, that uh, allow us to use them as cultural, social centers and areas of business uh, for the next hundred years. So, are you suggesting that there are parts of our community where we should be working with government to? reconfigure or restructure how they're used. But that, I think, raised the question, what do you do if you've got, if you're the landlord or the owner of a piece of property in Montgomery County that's, you know, been an industrial an industrial space that suburban office park, I guess we'll call it, there's no placemaking you can do there. So what happens with those? Do they need to become apartments or do you tear them down and make it a bowling alley? And what do you do with those? We're seeing across the country, again, the perspective I've, I've now had, it, it's, uh, it's interesting to see what's happening in other communities, and we can learn from, from that here in, in the D.C. area. There are alternative uses that can be considered. Here's a great example. In Houston, the former ExxonMobil campus in Houston is going to be used for vertical farming. That's 1.2 million square feet that's going to be used for vertical farming. Now, that seems niche and it, it is, but there are all alternative uses, whether it's healthcare or or entertainment uh, or 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 data centers. There are needs for markets and and communities that are not being not being fulfilled, and and some of these assets can be repurposed for that. And you talk about public private. I think that there's an interesting aspect of public policy and choices. For example, 
look at our region and what data centers have done. You know, Terry Clower over at the Center for Regional Analysis we had in the show recently uh, has pointed out that close to 1% of our GDP growth uh, last year was directly attributable to the data center industry. And yet you see an, an enormous backfighting now against putting more data centers in. You know, if we took data centers out of the regional economy, the economy barely grew last year. Is You talk about public-private partnerships, which I tend to think about from the standpoint of coming together to finance new things like, oh, I don't know, a, an arena, say, in, in Alexandria, <laughs> hypothetically. <laughs> but um, I think you're also talking about some, something else, which is that people need to make policy choices that um, can result in growth, but they also may inconvenience people. And, and also, we're going to have to change the way we tax because for years, people have benefited from not having to pay local personal taxes of any nature because they've been able to rely on commercial real estate. It sounds to me like we need to be honest with people that to have growth, they may be inconvenienced or perhaps have to pay a bit more. I think all that's true. The other piece of that is is expediency. Uh, if, if there are alternative uses that we know there's efficacy uh, that support a community, it can't take multiple years uh, to convert an asset from, from one use to another. There has to be um, a public sector involvement um, to help um, help move that process along quicker uh, so that those uh, those new developments can come to reality sooner. So they need to get so local government needs to be more focused on permitting and, and zoning and the various things that they need to do in order to help things along. And sounds to me like it's all hands on deck time. It is. It is. It's all hands on deck right now. And it's interesting. These are unique times. We have a fundamental shift in how people are using office space. There are issues associated with some liquidity and financing. There's a, there's a reset in value. It's going to require the private sector and the public sector to come together to figure out how they repair the torn fabric in their communities. Uh, it is everybody's responsibility. Harry, I, I would like to ask you, actually, I'm going to give you a gift. You're king for a day. <laughs> what would be the one thing that you would ask us as a region to do? Well, I definitely believe that um, that the region has to look at um, itself as as one unit. Um, as as we look at um, um, this region, I've been here in a long time, and I know that uh, we we tend to to segment um, the um, the region by by state and by county. Uh, we're really all one region, and we have to do this together. We're all in this together, and uh, we're only going to be as strong. As, um, as our weakest link. And it's important for us to be able to, um, to be an, a net attractor of talent and of capital. And uh, if we have a, a weakness, it's, um, is that sometimes we go it alone. I really believe that uh, we have to have a more focus, uh, a, a bigger focus on, a, um, on our region as one unit. Here, here. I hope you're listening, folks. Let's win together or lose apart. Harry Claff, Principal and U.S. President of Avis & Young. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. What's Working in Washington is a team effort. Our executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Our assistant producer is Anna DeGraff. The theme music you've been listening to is performed by the Sunbathers. And thanks to all of you for joining us on What's Working in Washington. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.